your film is basically it's based on the the most significant close encounter in modern history is that right uh i think it is definitely up there i would say that you know it's definitely a very the, the, you know what makes it interesting and and valuable is somebody rolled camera back in 94 a lot of people did mm -hmm. to interview people and document what happened um that I've, I've never seen in any other case where there's so much uh, interview evidence, you know. So when did you first become aware of this case? And how? not only how long ago did you find out about it, but also could you basically give a rundown of what happened in Rua, Zimbabwe in 1994? Yeah, I'll give the rundown just so people understand what this event, it was in 1994, September 16th. It was a Friday morning, about 10.30 in the morning. Um, the incident was uh, reported by, you know, a schoolyard of children. Um, and they had witnessed this thing in the sky and then they saw it set down behind their playground and uh, watched it and saw these little creatures come out. And um, a lot of bizarre things they were witnessing that they quite didn't quite understand. That comes out through the interviews. Um, and then one of these creatures approached them. And there was some kind of communication attempt of some kind. And um, that's when all the kids, they, they, there was a whole bunch of things that happened that there was a sound that was heard that really spooked everybody at that point and they all went running into the the staff meeting that was going on at the time at the school that's what kind of what spooked the kids you mean yes the sound well according to several of the witnesses yeah was, well, what was, was it what was that sound how do they describe it they described it like um <laughs> one of the interesting descriptions uh is like a mechanical bee sound like a buzzing of bees yeah there were there were two sounds that were really distinctly heard. There was that, this buzzing sound that, you know, people have. It's the same d description, but different. You know, different descriptions of the same thing. And then there's a high pitched sound that happened. Um, that's separate from this other lower um, buzzing sound that they heard. Um, so that that's what was reported so when you know the bbc started to go you know immediately to look at this uh the war reporter from bbc tim leach he uh oh he was a war reporter okay yeah i didn't even know that yeah yeah he covered all kinds of um, atrocities in africa yeah, he was pretty. He was already pretty scarred by the time he he get yeah. hit aerial. To be honest, it's it's hard. That's a hard job, man. So um, when did you first learn about it? Nineteen ninety five. Oh, you learned about it the following year. Yeah. Wow. Because uh, I had uh, I had seen the videos, John Mack. I you know I was familiar with him, and I don't know if it was at an office or something. I saw the the first time I saw these kids, and I'm like, and it was also on sightings that same year and on i was sighting what's sightings sightings was an old program about ufos okay back in the 90s 80s and 90s mm -hmm. um so yeah i 
that was the first time I saw it and I was struck by it because I'm like, what, what are those kids talking about? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, they're definitely telling the truth about something. And that's what it stuck in my mind. So when the opportunity came up in 2007 to do a movie about it, I, I already knew what the material was, not all of it. Actually, I was pretty surprised how much of the material there was, not just from John Mack, but other people that have interviewed these kids. So, and then there, you know, there was the adults, you know, it wasn't just children. It was adults that witnessed this craft around the area. A woman that lived very close to the school witnessed it in the morning. Pilots was, witnessed it the night before. Really? Yeah. People it, don't know that. There were, a, there were a bunch of sightings around Rua Zimbabwe leading up, up to a week leading up to that day, right? Right. It goes back. And it was on the news. They reported on it on the news. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, the, the when you're doing a doc or you're investigating something, you, you have to look at everything. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the big things I looked at was what was going on in space? You know, what was our, what were the space programs doing? And uh, actually did FOIAs to, you know, Strategic Air Command, did FOIAs to NASA. For, you did? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I spent quite a bit of money on FOIAs because they were beyond the, you know, when, when, you, when you request a ton of data, they start charging you money. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right, right. <laughs> um, and what made you want to start doing these FOIAs? Well, because I, you know, when I was digging into what was going on in space at the time, you know, and I'd heard about this Russian satellite that went up and a rocket body came in on that Wednesday night. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. That's pretty important. And, uh, you know, I interviewed a whole bunch of people that witnessed something on that Wednesday night at different times. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, very possible that that's what they, some of those people saw was a rocket body. And then there's another group of people that I don't know what they saw, you know. Mm. So that kind of was, uh, you know, it was good to go down that avenue because that's all I knew at the time. And then I started to meet people that had seen it on the next night that were pilots, you know, that witnessed it from the air. And that was not involved in any meteorite activity because I interviewed astronomers, you know. It, you know, I wanted to do my due diligence on this whole thing as far as what, what, hap what really happened here, you know. How long did it take? How long did you spend? <clears throat> how long did it take? For you to conduct all these interviews and travel and do all this work and this research for this movie? Uh, 15 years. 15 years you worked on this movie. It's mm -hmm. yeah. a long time. It's a long time. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, the, the investigative part of it, I mean, it never stopped, but the major part of it, I went to Africa for a year and first, first trip was nine and a half months. That's when I first, you know, found the school with Nikki Carter was a, a journalist in Africa, and uh, she had interviewed the kids also um, way back in '94, and um, and then you know found that I could find these kids. There's a woman named Robin Jurd that deserves a lot of credit for that because she helped me set up a Facebook right away. She's a woman in Africa, and she just donated her time, and uh, we started getting in touch with with uh, these same the, the kids that were at Ariel. 
So and then the second trip was, and then I started interviewing the kids that first trip. The second trip I went. How old were they the first time you interviewed them? Late 20s. Late 20s. Okay. Yeah. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Because the kids that it happened to were between the ages of 6 and 13. Right. Um, which is a pretty wide range, you know. It's a good 100 kids anyway that uh, went running into that staff meeting. Um, so, yeah, and the second trip was uh, more, you know, traveling to England, uh, different countries, Canada, across the United States to, because most of the kids left because of the political unrest in Zimbabwe, mm -hmm. you know, to, in, even in 2008, when I went, I wasn't even supposed to be in that country. There was a state, you know, there was a warning out uh, by the state department because of the political violence that was going on. Mm. And when I flew out of Zimbabwe, the state department was on my plane. Really? They were sitting right next to me. No way. And they wanted, they actually said to me, they said, hey, if you learned anything, could you come and talk to us? Because I was out in the woods, you know, I was out on farmlands, you know, way out of the city. That's when that New York Times reporter ended up in jail, like for three months. I'm not even aware of this. Yeah. What, what happened? He was reporting on the political violence and he stayed in Harare in a hotel and they put him in jail. Because they, they didn't want any Western journalists covering this. So oh, I had cameras. Wow. I'm out in a shack in, in Rua, like an hour or so out of mm -hmm. the city. And um, praying <clears throat> that I can get out of the country without them taking my tapes. That's how it was. <sighs> yeah. And knowing that people were being, you know, brutally, you know, th what happens is they go into a village and they, you know, they threaten people and violence is committed if you don't vote for the right person this is what's going to happen that's what wow. that, that was going on wow yep that was pretty heavy so a lot of these kids at the time you went you uh when you interviewed them in their 20s they were out of there they were in england yeah they went to australia england germany they went all over the world mm. you know it was the, i gotta say they were really smart kids i have to say that like they were educated really well mm-hmm and a mixed, diverse group, you know? Yeah. Every color, every religion was was really part of that school. It's pretty amazing, actually. Was that sort of like a like a privileged school for people with money? It was, yeah, it was started by farmers because they didn't want to, uh -huh. they were sending their kids to Harare, the city, to go to school. Mm. So the farmers decided we want to build our own school. So they were you know, white farmers mm -hmm. predominantly um, and political families in Zimbabwe. Mm. There was, it was a private school, but they also, uh, they had to bring in the, 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 the children from the villages locally 
So it, it was kind of mixed very well. Right. You had privileged people, you had sort of middle class people, and you had very mm. poor people. Um, yeah. But they did a beautiful job. I, I mean, it's an amazing school still to this day. But you don't see the white population there anymore. That's mm. predominantly Shona, which is the local tribe in Zimbabwe. At what point during the process of making this thing did you, like, if you spent 15 years on it, there had to have been something that kept going. Because usually people don't spend 15 years working on a project like right. this. Like, what kept you going through all of this? Obviously, this was, like, self-funded. Yes. Well, yeah. It was initially self-funded and and fundraisers, actually, through okay. the John Mack Institute in the beginning. They were helping me to, you know, they wanted me to do a 30-minute DVD of just John Mack's interviews of the children. And uh, the more I looked into it, I'm like, you know what? There's a bigger story here, you know? Um, so yeah, I started investing my, my own money into it. And then, you know, I, at one point I'm like, I think I understand the story. Right. And then I kind of, I was like, it was maybe another two years. I'm like, I got it. Okay. I've, I've really got the story here. And were you finding new evidence or new people involved or? Yeah. I mean, the, the further I kept digging, you know, the more people I, I found. I got on the radio in Africa, which was really great. Mickey Carter helped me do that. And um, that brought a lot of people forward, you know, the pilots and people mm -hmm. that were, that never forgotten what they'd seen. Um, a lot of the kids also, a lot of other witnesses, you know, that contacted me from those radio interviews. So why did it take 15 years? I mean, it was, it, you know, the first seven or eight was just investigative. And then I, it's like, how do you tell it? Mm. How do you tell the story? And then that was the difficult choice was make a standard UFO doc or, you know, the hard part was doing it without narration, you right. know, and have the people say it, talk about it themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. That was so difficult. That's the hardest movie I think you can make as far as a doc. Cause they have to say it. Right. Mm -hmm. And they do. And you have to have so much material just to be able to, right, to have all that work, you know. Yeah, to string it together and put a story together. Yeah, that's the most difficult part. Um, you said Tim Leach was the BBC journalist who was he was the first one to report on this case, right? Yes. Do you know what it was that drew him being a war reporter? What made him want to chase this story? He was already, He just got back from covering. Um, I believe it was the atrocities that were going on in Zimbabwe. They were killing people and throwing them in mines because of the politics at the time. So he was coming back from that, and he started hearing about these reports about the people seeing stuff in the sky, things in the sky that didn't make sense whatsoever. And then, so he was covering that, and then Ariel happened, and he heard about that. Somebody called him. One of the parents actually did, of the, one of the children. And he went and was the first one on the scene. Yeah, he called a UFO researcher because he was said he was out of his ball game. Mm -hmm. He had no idea what to do. <clears throat> he called Cynthia Hind, and then Cynthia Hind recommended that he call Doctor John Mack because 
he was you know prominent and he was researching this mm. these type of events at that time john dr mack was doing this you know seeing how widespread this phenomenon was outside of the united states because mm. for a long time people think oh thought it was just a u.s you know phenomena right you know um and then he started traveling south america africa and finding out the same things are happening all over the place mm. now did you sit down with tim or did, was yeah. he what did you what sort of insight did you get from him by sitting down with him personally <laughs> he's he was so funny yeah he seems like, like kind of a weirdo he, oh definitely i mean he was just like he used to photograph he used Goofy to be guy. the the photo photographer for the rolling stones like he, his history is really interesting so a movie should be done about that guy yeah like yeah i mean he's he'd been shot he lost what? All, oh yeah yeah no he was he was for real um he just made me laugh all the time. Did this, I spent about a week with him. Did this case get him into the whole UFO thing, whole UFO world subject, whatever you want to call it? Yeah, it did. I, and it's, you know, it cost him. It really did. It cost him his job. What? At BBC, yeah. Yeah. How so? Because they, well, from Tim's words, he's like, they don't want to. You know, they thought he was on wacky weed. You know, <laughs> that's what he says himself. You know, he's writing the editors of BBC like, hey, this is really happening down here. And they were, they just didn't want to talk about it. He, the way he put it, he's like, you know, there's certain things you don't talk about. Mm -hmm. And one of, and he learned that in war, like you don't show really what happens in warfare. He, he went on about you that. You mean like as far as like violence and gore? Yeah. Okay, right. Like what we just saw, you know, in Ukraine. That's what he's talking about. We saw some video recently, like everybody did. That was just horrific. But that's the stuff they were holding back for a long time that he was shooting, but they'd never played on TV. Um, And he was always upset. He's like, well, how, how do people don't even, people don't understand what war really is unless you really see how brutal and gruesome and mm. it is how are we going to sell it when people see how violent and deadly and devastating this is yeah so the ufo thing was it was a shock to him he never stopped thinking about it he died in 2011 um it was probably within a year when i interviewed him no way yeah yeah i really wish he got a chance to see this film and what year did John Mack die again? 2004. 2004. So did you ever talk to him? Yes. I didn't interview him, but I did speak with him. Yep. What was that like? Uh, he was brilliant. He was kind of on another plane in a way. Kind of felt like he was ahead of his time. Um, yeah. He was... Uh, I mean, the only person, the only people that could really talk with him about things are were people that really had a lot of clinical knowledge and mm -hmm. experience, like he did. Yeah, and that's a very few amount of people, you know. Mm. And they sure weren't open-minded at that time. They thought John Mack had lost his mind, and you know, they were pretty brutal to him. Yeah, it's weird to see how they were able to, like we were talking about before we started the podcast, how they were successfully able to destroy his reputation because of this, because they didn't want to be quote unquote associated with this sort of woo woo topic. 
that it would sort of discredit the universities or discredit academia in some way. It's just kind of silly. To be honest with you, like, I think if they, like, it's like what happened with Galileo and Copernicus. Yeah. yeah. You know, how long did that take for them to actually be, you know, what they are actually saying to be accepted? It took like hundreds of years, yeah. really, for everybody to get on board. The Catholic Church apologized in 1992 for what they did to him. Yeah. You know? Um, and that was, and I'm not, nothing against the Catholic Church or any, it's just that it was mindset. Like, this can't be real. We're, we're the center. You know, new information is too disturbing for us. You know? Mm, one of the big things about science is you have to study material objects. Everything has to be objective, and we're studying the material world, and we think about things in a certain way. And when you're studying something that has to change your whole frame of mind and the whole way of solving problems, then it's sort of just like intuitively counterproductive. It's counterproductive to science in general with the way that the way that we study things and the way that we analyze things. The way he was doing it was more of on a, like a personal subjective way because he's sitting down with these people who are quote unquote, these ex abduction experiencers. What, what did he call them? He had a certain term he, for these he people. He called they, them experiencers. Yeah. That yeah. was his term. They were experiencers of this ad abduction phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Or and, contact or any kind of like close encounter with these things. Yeah. yeah. And for a guy, a Pulitzer prize winning Harvard psychiatrist having hundreds and thousands of people writing him about these experiences he was having and having to, him sorting through thousands of these things, picking certain ones and sitting down and talking to this, pe talking to these people and trying to get them to replay their experiences. How do you analyze that? Because all you're doing is just listening to somebody recall something in their brain. There's right. nothing material. You can't measure anything. Well, I mean, there were scars, stuff like that, that was clinical, you know what I mean? Like something that could be photographed, something that was repeated. Um, Meaning like some of, these, some of these people claim that they were brought up into some sort of enclosed object and some sort of experiments were done on them or like poking yes. or prodding. Yep. And there was a consistency between a lot of these people with certain scars, you're saying? Yeah. That's true. And I think he saw that. I think other investigators saw that. But what the what John's claim was, being a, you know, very well-trained psychiatrist, psychiatrist, having written books about, um, you know, um, dreams and nightmares and right. addiction. Like, he covered the whole spectrum. Depression, like, suicide. He wrote, wrote about everything. And he had been seeing clients for 50 years or however many, you know. Mm -hmm. So, but his thing was like, these people are behaving and telling their story like people that have had a real experience. Mm. It doesn't fit. It didn't fit any of the classical diagnoses, diagnoses for uh, mental illness or, you know. At that time, well, actually, it was before that time they were saying that these people were schizophrenic that were seeing 
you know, having contact with mm. some other weird species. <clears throat> right. Then it went to, you know, false memory and, you know, all these different diagnoses. <laughs> diagnoses. Well, it's hard. I mean, fuck. What year? I mean, he was studying this stuff in the 80s and the 90s, right? So he started in 90, I think it was, it was in the middle of the year 1990. Okay. So he started in 1990 publicly studying. This well, he, 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 he didn't necessarily, he wasn't convinced at that point. He just got exposed to, you know, a group of people that were mm -hmm. some, a friend of his at, at, introduced him to some, he's like, is that Heineck? No, that was actually Hopkins, Bud Hopkins. And, uh, oh, Bud Hopkins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a female um, fellow psychi uh, psychologist uh, or psychiatrist that brought him to Bud. I think that's what how it happened. And that was in 1990. And then he started... And who was Bud Hopkins for people who aren't familiar? Bud Hopkins, um, he started... He was an artist, you know, back in like with de Cooney and... Who's the guy that put speckles on? Mm-hmm. I forget his name. Sorry. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll Pollock. Do. Pollock. Yeah, yeah, Jackson Pollock. Jackson Pollock. So he was. He grew up with those guys, and like you know, went to college with those guys, and he was one of those artists from that genre. I mean, he Bud Hopkins got has art at the Guggenheim, all over. He's all over the place. Um, and he had seen something in 1964 himself with his wife, and. Uh, he never forgot about it. And then one of his neighbors had uh, uh, reported something and he wrote a piece for the New York Times uh, editorial. I think it was the Sunday. I'm not sure what it was. It was, it was, uh, it was definitely in the, in the New York Times. Um, but it got a lot of press and it got a lot of people calling him. But he ended up writing a book called Missing Time. Um, that was, uh, about these events. And that was, I think in seven, it was way in the okay. early days. So he became a, a pretty well-known researcher, you know, of this phenomenon. Um, so him and him and, uh, John Mack linked up and they started comparing stories. No, uh, I think it was the psychiatrist friend of John's that said, you have to meet this guy and you okay. have to meet his, the people he's hearing from and that's what john did he went down he thought they were going to be crazy and you know he'll be able to easily diagnose them and that wasn't the case these were like people that had jobs and careers right and weren't public you know um so i think that's what uh i think his clinical he couldn't rule it out as he couldn't rule it to be something that was uh easily definable in any mm -hmm. way i think that's really what it came, comes <clears throat> down to like i try to like put myself in his shoes back in that time in the 90s being a like i said pulitzer prize winning harvard psychiatrist and deciding i'm gonna jump into alien abductions and talk about this publicly it's like it's almost knowingly career suicide because mm -hmm. you know the stigma involving it just look where we are fast forward to where we are right now if you want to if you want to start a podcast or if you want to write books about just alien abductions people aren't going to take you that seriously in general obviously a lot of people will but generally most people won't you're going to get eye rolls from True. left right everywhere yep. um 
But the funny thing is, though, you can talk about the UFO topic now because the New York Times is, the Pentagon is, everyone's – Navy fighter pilots are seeing these things. They're talking about it. So the UFO subject is not really stigmatized. Yeah. But there's a huge leap between talking about UFOs and talking about alien abductions. Very true. Yeah. And he uh, – you know, he had – and he's – John Mack said it himself about, you know, committing professional suicide, you know. That's he knew what he was doing, but he also knew, I think what he knew was just that, you know, it was the, what do you do in that situation? He says that himself. Like, what do you do when you see something, you know, it's not a medical, you know, a mental diagnosis or, or you know, a, um, a psychological diagnosis or anything else or some other trauma that's reappearing. You know that it is what it's being presented as. What do you do with that? Do you, do you just not say anything? How was he able to decipher whether it was just sort of a, a constructed, fabricated story or whether it was actually relived trauma? Was there any sort of like distinction he was able to make to analyze that? Yeah, I think, it, you know, over time, you, I think it's just experience. You see different behaviors of different people. That's what you're trained to do. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what he was trained to do um, with children and adults to 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 find out what the truth really was, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I don't. And I think, you know, it, it's still here. Whatever this phenomena is, it hasn't gone away. It's never gone away. It was here before John Mack was here or anybody else was here. It was mm -hmm. still going on. It was being reported. And we still don't have a clear answer about it, you know? Yeah. Well, a lot of people talk about it. And nobody talks so about it. Nobody talks <laughs> nobody about it. Nobody wants to talk about it. It's disturbing. I mean, really, that's what it, it's disturbing. The first interview I ever heard about anything like this that kind of like made me like pause and take a deep breath was like, was the um, Travis Walton story. When I heard him explain that, I was just like, holy shit. Like I was like, my bullshit detectors were out and, and ready to fucking pick up on anything. It seemed very, the way he described it and the way his stories stayed consistent really kind of fucking blew me back in my seat. And there were witnesses like Travis. There were five witnesses. I believe it was five other guys. They've never changed their story. Mm -hmm. They watched it happen. And, you know, I've talked with, I mean, that man, he, he's another person who's really put himself out there, you know for i think reasons that don't benefit him you know in the long run it hasn't benefited him to talk about this really mm -hmm. you know and it, it's i mean did, who's, did, who's did, making millions of dollars in the ufo field <laughs> you know what i mean like what's history channel <laughs> yeah, that's true okay <laughs> that's different yeah that's true um but yeah that's it you know there's a lot of people that uh feel like and i've run into so many you know just in the process of doing this movie who you know they feel like it's just important that humanity knows that there's something else out here mm. did john mack ever meet with travis walton or interview him or do a session with him do you know i'm not i i don't know for sure about travis i don't i don't think so I, just because of their their uh, distance away from each other mm. but it could have happened yeah. what was some of the 
biggest criticism or critiques of John Mack with his with his colleagues or with anybody? Like, what was the biggest pushback against him and his credibility? Because you said they were successfully able to destroy his credibility. What? I think they the did that in the there? press. It was kind of childish in a way. Like they they uh, just called him Wacko Macko and just told you know they just there. I think there were a lot of well the the people that were really concerned were alumni. That's how it really got raised, and then also the school itself, the dean. And, We're talking Harvard? Yes. Okay. And, you know, John Mack had submitted a uh, a document for the New England Journal of Medicine, a paper written about this, what he was, you know, working on, saying this is not a mental illness. And, you know, they did, they would not publish it. They wouldn't publish it. And it ends up that guy who was ahead of the New England Journal of Medicine was the guy going after him from Harvard. Like within, really? within <clears throat> six months. Wow. So that's pretty interesting that uh, those were connected. And they just didn't want to talk about this at all. Now, when you were doing your documentary, you fit, you interviewed a lot of his colleagues mm -hmm. and as well as a lot of like the alumni from yep. Harvard, correct? Yes. What sort of sense did you get from talking to those guys? I mean, I can't imagine they were. Did you talk to anybody who thought talked negatively about that about him, or was it all just sort of people who loved him and supported him? Well, a lot of the people that talked ne negatively were public, so I could get that data. You know, those interviews and stuff like that. So I didn't really need to. It was all said pretty okay. pretty openly uh, through interviews or newspaper articles. People really. Um, but it, you know what I, it really looks like to me now and probably it's just people couldn't even go there, didn't want to go there. And they were really disturbed that somebody in their, you know, circles was going there mm. to think way outside, you know, what was reasonable in their minds. You know, yeah. it, it's like the whole Oxum's razor thing, you know, whatever that's simplest explanation is likely the one, um, which is usually true, but maybe not so in this case. Mm. You know? Yeah, like some of the other guys, they were just happy floating in the shallow end and they didn't want to go risk their lives and go into the deep end where John was working because it would be too dangerous for them for their careers. And it was just like, what's, you know, I what's, think the, John what's the trade off? Had, yeah, I think he had accomplished so much by that point. He didn't was, care. He didn't care on some level. There, that's another thing, too that you see a lot in academia is the people that come from these universities who end up publishing works and getting lots of attention and media attention. There's a lot of jealousy True. with their colleagues and a lot of people try to like shoot them down and talk negatively about them because they are in the spotlight. And then you, you have to question like you see it all the time on, on the internet nowadays, people start talking about certain subjects they realize they get a lot of attention and a lot of money from talking about certain subjects or certain topics positively or negatively. And they just sort of like fall down that rabbit hole and they just, they just keep chasing that and they just go in one direction. So that's a, that's a legitimate question you could ask about John Mack is that did he just, did he see this thing, study it for a little bit, realize he's getting a lot of attention and just sort of lean into it because of, Hey, I'm getting on Oprah 
you know, I'm, I'm writing all these books, making all this money off these books. Everyone wants to interview me. I'm a huge public figure. What's the point of, what's the point of just brain, just, you know, stopping this and doing something else, even if he's not super interested in it, you know? No, I, I just don't see that. I mean, I don't think, I, I think he was very moved by it, mm -hmm. you know? Um, Cause he was, you know, interviewing people, you know, all the time and talking with people about, you know, that what they had seen, mm -hmm. there were witnesses to that. So he talked to the witnesses. It wasn't like, yeah, no, he, I don't think he was ever into it for, he was already famous. Right. He already had a he already huge had a, yeah. following in a circle of friends at Harvard. That's true. This didn't help him with that. Right. It didn't help him. Good point. He took a real hit for, I mean, that's why a lot of people respect him now is because he, he risked everything. You know, what the question is whether he was right or wrong. Well, we're still dealing with the same thing. It hasn't gone away. Those people are still talking about it. There's more events that are being publicly, finally, you know, revealed. Um, and I think, you know, what's the big deal? It is a big deal. Like if there's another species out there, it is a big deal. But what's the point in waiting? You know, like... I think our evolution, if, if we had known when it f this first occurred, when human beings really first came across them, and they had told everybody else, we would not be in this position we're in now. What do you mean by that? I just feel like that, I think that the people weren't told about this for a long time. That there were there was another species out in this universe. Yeah, but who us. knows? Who would know about it other than people who experienced it personally? Uh because even if you are that person, how can you? I mean, I would. Well, it's not a person; it's an organization. You know, I mean, there's plenty of people I can talk to you about the military and their what they've been pulling out for since 1941. Anyway, and it's a really so they didn't. They decided not to tell us the rest of us. And you're saying that there's people in the military or in organizations that know about and are familiar with these abduction phenomena. Oh, like, do they take it, it seriously? Well, it's, it it doesn't even matter what the event is, whether it's a contact event or a sighting. In my opinion, like it's the fact that there are there's another species out there. Period. So. And I mean, that's a big deal. <laughs> and there's government and there's military agencies that, that know for a fact this is true. Yeah. That's been, that's been, that's, I'm not saying anything new. I mean, Pentagon's talking about it. They're looking at all the old records and the, you know, Blue Book, you know, Project Grudge, Project Sign before that, Roswell, 1941, Missouri. I mean, there's a Roswell, history here. Roswell's been debunked pretty much, right? No. No, not at all. I thought that had pretty much been. I thought. I thought it was basically. When I say debunked, what I mean is, like JFK's assassination. Everybody knows that there was some foul play involved, and that the CIA. If you really dig into JFK, people know that the CIA was somewhat involved in that. If you look at the fucking, if you follow the evidence, sure. right? So if you look at Roswell and you follow the evidence, you follow the history, the interviews of the guys that were there, there's obviously a cover up with Roswell. That's what I meant by saying debunked. Like, oh. I don't mean like the, the, the balloon story is real. I mean, the balloon story has been debunked. Right. 
That's what I mean. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually went and talked to some of the people that live around there, you know, long, this was back a long time ago. And because I was curious, like, I'll, I'll hear about something, but I'll, I want to go there and talk to the people that live there. Mm -hmm. You know, like with the Phoenix Lights, I went to the police station and talked to the police and said, do, do you, what do you, what happened with this? What do you think? And they were like, yeah, no, this really happened. I don't know what it was, but it was huge. You know, that's what they said. So I think decisions were made by people that we shouldn't know about this. The rest of us shouldn't know about this. And I can understand how they would have made that decision. I just think it was a really bad decision because it changed our evolutionary path. How do you think they made that decision? Because they were concerned on how everybody would react. Mm. Yeah. How do you think people would react? I think they're going to be pretty freaked out. For a while yeah but what would be the consequences of being freaked out like so how would that affect society do you think how do you think it would affect i think it governments event that's the problem right i think that's the problem is who's you know the churches have been in charge now and then it's sort of transitioned into science um john mack talked about this a lot of other people talked about this uh there's nothing new i'm talking about it's um but it's uh who's who's really going to be in if we if it's revealed that there's another species out there that's way more evolved than us that we can't catch up to mm -hmm. you know who's in control then you know who's going to get that respect of power I, I think that's that's a really good question tough question to to think about I think overall, it's probably be best for us because we're going to get, you know, we're not going to, I think we'll end up pulling together as one planet because we know there's something else there that's not us as human beings. I think that's likely going to be the end result, but it's going to, people are going to be in shock for a while, for sure. A lot of people explain these abductions as if like they're advanced beings from another planet or another star system. But there's also a group of these abductees who claim that this is has some sort of religious context to it. Some sort of spiritual or religious context oh. as if these are like these are like angels. Right. I mean it's pretty interesting to look at, you know. Yeah. The Bible. I used to, you know, I read the Bible twice through. I'd always flip through it. And uh when you think about this whole topic and then look back at the Bible. That's pretty interesting. Like, what were they yeah. seeing? You know? How are they interpreting what they were seeing? Right. Because they, they did, didn't have the tech we have and the understanding think, of science. Right. Exactly. When John Mack talked to the children from Rua, Zimbabwe, what was his, I'm sure this is part of what you talked to him about. Like, what was his initial reaction to to talking to these children and had he spoken to children in the past yes. that have had similar experiences he had yep um i think it was just it was more it was confirmative for him that yeah you know it was just the same description the same emotional impact um all of the stories were so similar but they weren't exactly the same true which kind of like that kind of hashes out the idea that they were just trying to prank the school teachers. Yeah. Because a lot of them had different 
perceptions of what was going on or one girl claimed that when she looked into the big eyes that she was getting thoughts of technology being bad and when the other girl looked into the eyes of the thing she got this whole thing about the environment it seemed like they had two different narratives or two different experiences the physical experience was the same what they saw was the same but what they thought about was different when they looked at these things i thought that was pretty interesting yeah yeah, it was subjective, you know, like every, depending on where the person was, what their perspective was, it was very, you know, from whatever perspective they had. I think that, you know, the technology thing that was said to one, you know, however that was done. I mean, I love the way she says it, like, it came into my conscience, you know? Yeah. How, she didn't know anything about the word telepathy or anything right. like that, but she was, that's what she was describing. In right. a sense, um, but they were talking about the same thing in a way. Like it wasn't like you know one was about or several were about what was going to happen to us if we keep going down this path. And the technology thing was this is why, like you're. Um, I th that's what I I I see is like yeah our technology. We've grown really fast and and am done amazing things, but we don't have the responsibility to, you know. Yeah, the the interesting thing about it is when it took place in the '90s was like Cold War, developing nuclear arsenals all over the country, all over the world, testing nukes, and there's a lot of like there's a a book, a great book written about this called UFOs and Nukes, which talks about the basically the generals who were in charge of these warheads, these intercontinental ballistic warheads uh, that saw and reported flying saucers coming up, shooting beams down into the, the missile silos. I think there was another famous case in Europe or England somewhere where there was like a the U.S.'s biggest stronghold of nuclear weapons that was housed in Europe. Rendlesham. What was it called? Rendlesham Forest. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Where uh, a bunch of the officers, as well as a, I think it was a, um, one of the guys who sits in like the air traffic control tower, said he saw this thing and they explained how it just basically moved like a laser pointer in the sky. It makes me think immediately like about how we handle herds of animals in the wild or, you know, conservator, you know, conservatism or conservatories, mm -hmm. right? Nature conservation. Conservation. Yeah. Yeah. Conservation. And how we, you know, we keep the population down because they're going to get out of hand, overpopulate, and they're going to end up dying of disease. So we cull them, you know. And we've learned a lot about culling, what not to do. Yeah. Like in Africa, they used to cull the elephants and they'd kill all the old ones, right? So what would happen was the younger ones had no wisdom, no teachers, and they'd go in and trample villages. So now when they cull elephants, they don't take out all the old ones they 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 go they and cull elephants yeah i thought oh, elephants they... were severely underpopulated like almost on the verge of extinction not not i mean they're getting there that's for sure because of the poaching in africa that's that's mainly yeah that's that's true it's mainly the rhino that's really and the rhino too yeah, yeah. the rhino's i think way worse off than the elephant but the i think they're both really bad everything is even lions are on the list now i mean it's really sad what's happening mm -hmm. you know we're just friends that are in you know 
paleontology that I know, it's like, dude, we're in the sixth extinction, extinction event. Mm. We're in it. It's already happening. We're losing species left and right. Yeah. That's not a good thing. How many events are there like this Rua case where somebody saw some sort of being like come out of a craft and try to communicate with them? Adults or children or Both. anything? Oh, there's tons. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot. But not many where there's like lots of witnesses who corroborate each other, right? Less so. Yeah. You have, a, you, there's that less so. Mass sightings, they call them, um, where you have multiple, you know, over 10 or 15 witnesses. Even that's a lot. There's plenty of incidents where there's two or three people. Um, yeah, like the Travis Walton case. Yep. I mean, that, even Travis, that's five people other than himself. Um, that's a unique, that was a unique event. Mm -hmm. um it, but yes other schools yeah i part of the deep dive on ariel was where else has this happened so one of the places was wales a place called broadhaven in wales where 1976 or 77 i believe it was 77 these children reported seeing this craft out behind their school and uh so i went there went to wales talked to the people you know, nobody wanted to go on camera because they had already been on camera and already had all this ridicule. And, you know, now they were in their 40, mid 40s, early 50s. And they were just like, what's the point? Nobody's going to believe us anyway. That's mm. what they said to me. And I talked to the headmaster and t also retrieved all their drawings that they, that they drew when they were kids. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was a <laughs> primary school. It was kind of odd because I'm driving there. And what does I'm, that mean, primary school? Primary school is like, you know, from, I mean, for me, it was like from first grade to sixth grade. Okay. You know? Okay. Just yeah. not used to that terminology. Yeah. It's elementary school. Right? Okay. So it means like what? Under 12 years old? Basically, yeah. Okay. Before before junior high. Okay. Yeah. Um, so there was one in Russia. There's one I was aware of in Chile where mm. actually there's video of, like recordings of the witnesses oh children they're speaking spanish but it's still like ariel was the what's interesting about ariel is so documented that's what makes it unique yeah if those people didn't record those interviews at that time and there were six different right organizations people that did that it wouldn't be we wouldn't be talking about it mm -mm. you know it was those people and the, and you know what's amazing is every single one of those person had kept everything after all that time they're like, this, whatever happened here is important. And they kept their notes, kept their videos. Why do you everything. think they were so open about it compared to everyone else? What was, what was with that? What was with the openness? I think it was the kids. But I there were kids in every other case, and lots of other cases too, where they, where they didn't talk about it. Why did those kids specifically, why were they so open? The kids themselves? or you know, The you kids or the people around them, just in that event. Like the, like you just said, there's no other event where the kids were so, where they were so open and as far as doing drawings, having conversations, recording about it. Everyone else just kind of like shut up and didn't talk about it. Like you said, what's the point? But these people in Rua, these kids in Rua, for some reason, they were just, whether it be the people they were surrounded with or no, with, I, whether it was John Mack, but they, it seems like just they were they were more encouraged to be open about it. No, I, th I mean, in Wales, they were open about it. Okay. Um, it just, I don't, you know, for whatever reason, and I think it was the quality of the kids, to be honest with you, and that 
some of the kids, uh, I'm not quite, that's the wrong word. Um, I think the kids affected people. The kids that spoke about it at Ariel mm -hmm. really affected people because they were, you, you knew they were not lying. Yeah. Everybody tells you that. I haven't met anybody that says, yeah, no, those kids were lying. It doesn't matter what they saw, right? They could have seen anything, right? Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. they were, whatever they, they were telling the truth. You can argue about what they saw, but you can't argue with the fact that that everything about them, their body language, their eye movements. I had, you know, I had people look at that specifically. Like, are these people telling the truth? Body language, eye movements, mm -hmm. hand movements. Right. Is there any deception here? Mm -hmm. There's a whole paper being written right now about that. Uh, that's, oh, really? That's going to be interesting. Who's writing it? I can't tell you that. <laughs> Come on, man. I can't. Not 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 Give me yet. A sneak peek. It, I can't <laughs> tell you that because, but it, you'll. It's going to be pretty amazing. Um, just because it's just so professional, you know. It's it's. Uh, Do you have any idea when it will be out? I don't. Okay. But I, um, I've seen some of the drafts, and I'm like, yeah, thank you for looking at this. Mm. Really, like I saw it. But it's great to have professionals who do this all the time, you know, have their expertise and and hear what their comments are mm. and get it peer reviewed and all that. So that's yeah. Um, but people have come forward. Um, you know that. I guess the hard part is we just nobody we really don't take this serious. We don't know what to do with it. The hard part, the hardest thing about it, is it's like the the agent involved in this phenomena is almost just like poking us and toying with us and deliberately staying on deliberately giving us just enough evidence for people who are willing to believe it but not enough for the skeptic right and it seems like I don't know what, how could you have any evidence like other than somebody having some scars and saying, Hey, look, my scar is similar to his scar and he has the same story. Or, I mean, how do you, how do you come up with, how do you get past that barrier for people to take it seriously? How did people eventually come to take this seriously? I think we have to see that. I think that there's, there's some efforts and some movements, if you want to call it that about, stuff we've retrieved like metal some some yeah i mean I don't, I don't know if you've heard about it Pe people have been discussing it yeah i know i know like uh jacques valet mm -hmm. has been studying some of this these materials and uh gary nolan yep and there's a whole big thing about these crash retrievals you know globally your brain needs support and new ollie brainy chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. 
No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. That's going to be interesting, you know, like, what did they have? But when, and, and they didn't, of course, they're not going to share it with us because, A, it's a national security thing. They don't want any other country to have any piece of this. But mm-hmm. it's also like, you know, anything that shows life outside this planet is going to change everything, whether it's a, you know, a, a piece of, you know, a meteorite from Mars, you know, that comes in that has a little microbe in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They've been very cautious even about that. They don't want to open that door. Um, because it's such a big deal. We, I mean, we have an example of that with, you know, when I was talking about Galileo and, and, um, that whole thing, you know, where people's consciousness changing to say, we're not the center, mm. you know, we're not the center of it all. And this is another step. John Mack talked about it. A lot of other people have talked about it. Like this next step that we're going to likely have to take, whether we like it or not, is that we're not the top dogs. Something else is. That's hard. I don't think it's that hard for most people. I think it's harder for people in power. Right. Yeah. I, I, right. I think I think most people, like the majority of the population, I don't think would be that devastating for them. Yeah. Only, yeah. You think? But, you know, when it comes to people like people in control of governments that want to control the population and paint a certain narrative to for whatever it may be for money or power Mm. it may not be the best for them but then you know you got people at the top even the fucking president doesn't know about this you have a new president every four to eight years there's no way they're telling the presidents everything yeah Hmm. you know and then you said so you said you did a bunch of foia requests Mm-hmm. Who who did you send these FOIAs to? And then like what sort of revelations did you come to after reading through these and what did you discover? Because one of the big things about FOIA requests is you can't you can't do that to Lockheed or Boeing. You can't oh, right. send a, a FOIA request to a private aerospace company. That's correct. Even the shuttle like has tons of private, you know, I couldn't can't send one to SpaceX, can you? Um well I, I was very specifically targeting certain things that were going on at the time. Mm-hmm. But I was also, I was told by NASA and I was told by, you know, not, I, it wasn't Strategic Air Command. They were, interestingly, when I requested the information about the rocket body on that Wednesday night, that's the only thing they didn't give me any information on or data. The rocket body. Yeah. Yeah. What the was thing the that sent up, set up, sent up that Russian satellite from Balkanor. So anyway, they, but it was just interesting, like the very thing that I really wanted to know about, they didn't give me any information about. And I called them. I said, why didn't you give me, that's what I'm interested in. That was a very interesting conversation. <laughs> um, and, and the answer was, it was already public. I was like, okay, but why, you know, you didn't track it? Why didn't you track it? I mean, they tracked everything else. Um, anyway, um, but yes, on a lot of these missions, they're private. There's private experiments, private space things mm-hmm. that you, if, even when you FOIA, 
like you're saying, you can't get that because that right. does not belong to NASA. It doesn't belong. It belongs to this private company. Right. Um, so you can't get the info. So what you know, what it does make you wonder what's what else is going on in, out there, and that's how you keep it quiet is keeping it private. Do you think that? All governments of all countries are keeping it as private and locked away as we are in the U.S. Or are there other countries that are more open about this? Oh stuff? yeah, there's a lot. Everybody's more open than we are. Every country that I've talked to in the militaries of other countries, or you know anybody in politics, they're like, "It's you guys." What do they say so about what do they say about the whole phenomenon? That we're the key to it. That we know, we that know, we, we are the we key know, to it. we know, we know the most. Our country knows the most out of any country on this planet about it, huh? And and interestingly, we're not we're the least. We we have the most. Uh, what do you call it? Ridicule and disbelief in this country. Other people, other countries are much more open about it. Yeah, that's weird. It is. I when I heard it, I'm you know there. I was in South Africa talking to. On an Air Force base, talking to the commander with a lieutenant colonel, and he says, "What are you doing here? The answers in your country. Why bother? Why are you, why are you here?" And he told me quite a few things, and I was just like, Whew. "My mind just got blown." First of all, he was talking to me about it openly, about this phenomenon being very real, and they see it on. Radar. Who was this guy? He was a commander in the uh, Air Force base. An Air Force commander. Yep. He was commander of the whole base. Oh wow! With a lieutenant colonel who was a female what sort of things was she saying he was saying oh. and she supported him about what they see on radar okay anything with the naked eye or just mainly radar i mean they're no you know they were referring only to radar at that okay. point but they said that we can tell what these things are mm. actually i gotta tell you this because <laughs> it blew my mind they're like you know when I heard this, I was like, what? <laughs> They're like, we can tell the difference between the American version, the Russian version, and the real thing. Really? And I'm like, what are you guys talking about? The American version, the Russian version, and the real thing. Mm -hmm. Meaning there's technology that we have and that they have, and there's technology that someone else controls. And you can easily tell the difference. Really? Mm-hmm. These are military guys, like straight laced him and her. I mean, I couldn't be, believe they were so open with me. Do you think that Tic Tac stuff and that stuff off the East Coast? Do you think that's military, or do you think that's no? What do you, what do you think it is? Well, I have no idea. You don't, I think you it's don't just, think it's anything it's, that we have. No, I don't. I mean, we're good. We're the best on the planet, but this is, you know, the guys that witness this, the pilots, you know. A lot of these guys, they're dealing with a lot of our latest stuff. I mean, they, you know, they're, uh, I mean, they're some of the best in the world. And they know where the cutting edge is, or at least they, they have an inside scoop, mm. I would say. They, people. Yeah. So, when, not that they know everything that's on the cutting edge or anything, but they, they would know whether we're even capable of this stuff. Mm. And why? I mean, that's not what you do when you develop new technologies. You don't show it like that. Yeah. Right. And they and another interesting thing that um, one Ryan Graves brought up to me the other day when he was in here is 
the first time Commander Fravor saw the Tic Tac was in, oh, I'm going to fucking forget the date. I want to say it was like 2008, 2009, something like that. Can you find out the date of the Tic Tac thing? 2004. And 2004. Okay, so way before that. And then the other ones, like the Go Fast video and the Gimbal video, were, you know the years the, those were? Those were like 10 years after. 2015, right? yeah. So if we had that technology, why would we be testing it for that long of a period of time? In, and it's the same in, thing in, people were reporting in the 40s. Right, and it's they're, yeah. they're testing it in like the busiest airspace in the United States. So yeah. if if... if the United States Air Force or the military or any of these crazy dark, you know, government organizations that we have were testing this shit. They wouldn't be testing it there and they wouldn't be testing it for a 10 year period. Right. I mean, they do test things for long periods of time for sure, but this has been going on for so long mm -hmm. and it, it's the same, it's the same thing. It's the same type of behavior, the same type of warping physics as we know it in a way and time. Uh, just bizarre stuff that we're we're just beginning to like kind of get a grasp on. Like, oh, this is possible. Mm. In my, you know, it's my opinion. Um, yeah, yeah. I I gotta say, I'm really. I just for those guys to speak out was a really big deal. Yeah, so, you know, I have to salute those people because you know they're again those are more people putting their butts on the line. And why would they do that? There's no upside for them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's definitely a safety issue. That was one of yes. the concerns of Ryan Graves because he was, he was, you know, in charge of safety on his ship. And when he, he almost got fired and he almost got, went to jail for doing that because he was still active military. I don't think Commander Fravor, he was already retired when he talked he was, about yeah. it. Yeah. But Ryan Graves was still active. And I remember they, they, he said that they brought him to the Pentagon and they set him down with a bunch of people and they were, grilling him for a while um in an attempt wow. to you know not only get information from him but intimidate him right so it's scary man are there still sit like phenomena like ha what happened in rua like sightings like this and abduction stories coming out today because really like the the landscape we live in is far different from what it was during that time in the 90s it is yeah um, I mean, I keep an ear to the ground on that stuff, but it's, you know, I'm, it's nothing I'm personally investigating at all. It's just what I'm hearing other people, mm. their work, some stuff going on in that, some pretty incredible events in Canada. Um, I mean, I don't think anything's really changed. I think what's happened is, and I think this is a good thing that. There's organizations, like, there's people actually trying to help these people um, by taking their stories and that's it, you know, just mm -hmm. recording them and taking them seriously. And the fact that the people that have seen these things, they have a really hard time. It's not like, you know, you see one of these things and you get on with your life and nothing happens. You, mm -hmm. you go through, I mean, I saw it with the aerial kids. And other cases, like, it's really difficult because it blows your sense of reality out of the water. Mm. And all of a sudden, you have to look at your world and like, whoa, what? Either I'm crazy or I did see that. And if I did see that, then that means the world is not what I thought it was. 
You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's this whole other aspect that nobody's told me about or told us about. It's almost like they got lucky because they have at least, they have each other that That's all true. saw the same thing. If you're a one person that had this crazy experience and you don't know who to talk to. That's tough. That's got to be traumatizing. That's got to be really. To relive that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think in a way they are lucky. And interestingly, though, they really rarely ever talk about it with each other, which I found with other people that had had encounters. Like, they, it was so disturbing to them individually that they didn't want to communicate about it with each other. Even though they both were there, or three of them or four of them were there at the same time it happened. But it was so disturbing to all of them that they don't want, they'll, they'll talk about it for like maybe 30 seconds and then just move on because they don't want to sit with it because it's that disturbing. Hmm. Um, but I think, you know, that's, it's an, that was kind of an older generation of people. It's kind of interesting to see the younger crowd of people growing up and just, they grew up with that idea mm. in their head, you know, it, or the, movies that were out and stuff like that they're um more open-minded you know what was i know i know mac john mac didn't finish get to get to finish or come up with any sort of conclusion to his study of this but what were his ideas as to why these were happening why these things were happening and what were some of like the most common threads throughout these experiences people were having hmm i know one of them was some sort of like he talks about some sort of um breeding program or some sort of like where they were these beings were sort of like doing some sort of sexual reproduction reproductive experiment with people i he talked about that in his passport to the cosmos book in the beginning yeah but he said that that was like a common thread was mm -hmm. that a lot of the experiencers had this same thing, this same thing that they would talk about when he put them into this sort of like meditative state and talk to them. Right. Well, he had it with people that didn't even go into that. I mean, people just reported that it was consistent and you know, it's just, it was more on the level of scientific exploration. Do you know what I mean? Like, like we do, we go out, it's the same kind of thing. I, I see it as. Um, we do all kinds of things to other species on this planet. Mm -hmm. I mean, some horrible things. Yes. And, and we, I love that. Somebody told me that analogy of like, you know, we, some people, like we spend what billions of dollars on our dogs here and in other countries, <laughs> they eat them. Yeah, right? How funny is that? <laughs> it's, it's just, yeah. It's true. Yeah. So I just, I know it all sounds weird, but if you step away from it and look at it from like, oh, it's just another species looking at us as another species that is, or not maybe that as smart mm -hmm. as we think, mm -hmm. they may be doing a lot of things. I think yeah. there really is something to the term ultra terrestrial that compared to extraterrestrial, meaning from what I understand is just not from this earth, ultra terrestrial meaning not from this dimension meaning they're interdimensional beings that can choose when they want to be, when they want to step into our reality and when they don't, or when they want to remain in other dimensions. Mm -hmm. I found that kind of fascinating. I've never heard about that talked about other than Alex Jones <laughs> mm -hmm. until I read John Mack's book. <laughs> yeah. 
I I think it's uh I mean people are like oh maybe they're us traveling in time backwards and yeah time the the, tra- the time traveling yeah there's all kinds of different theories uh to me it's like it doesn't matter it's just it's something else more intelligent than us more evolved than us that's what matters it doesn't matter really where they come from it's that they come from outside of us mm. so I I kind of don't get up into those um. I hear them and I think about those ideas, but I, I just think, well, it's just it's something from the outside. That's uh, that's the thing I always come back to. Is it something that's from the outside coming in that's more intelligent than us? That's a new thing. What yeah. the, so this these kids? They're now what in their thirties from mm-hmm. Zimbabwe. Do they all have the same sort of? feeling like what is the vibe in the room with them on this up when you start to ask them about this like what is the thirty thousand mile up overview or takeaway from the whole experience for them what do they think it meant what did what did it mean to them hmm uh it's very it's it depends on where i think where the person is in the process of dealing with it you know what i mean like there's certain people that don't want to even think about it mm-hmm. still. They just day. go on. They just live their lives and keep their head down and go to work. Right. And uh, there's others who I think have a really good grasp and have some just profound thoughts about what it meant, you know? How, Anything that sticks how, out to you? Uh, yeah, a few people that stick out to me and, and the things they've said in, in the interviews and... Which to me revealed like, wow, this person has really thought about this and the the implications of it, the bigger picture of it, how they were involved. I guess, you know, when you asked me about like what was in the room, like everybody I interviewed about this, there was like a, it was a deep feeling in the room. Like it wasn't, this wasn't a light thing to, for any of those people to talk about. I had to build trust, you know, there was a lot of. They were afraid, I'm sure, I know this, that I was going to make a fool out of them or, you know, mm. they were very concerned about that. But there was a very deep, with every single person I interviewed, like I could feel it. Like this was no small deal for them. That's, I do know that. Um, and I, it's weird as a filmmaker, you feel like, God, I'm sorry I exposed you. <laughs> you know, sorry, sorry I brought this up again in your life because I know it's not a small thing. <clears throat> yeah. You know, like, I'm sorry I had to make you think about this, but I think it's important for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Um, is it, is the experience or their memory of the experience like religious at all to them? Uh, some. But it's not in the positive, it's more in the negative. Like, this was the devil, or, you know, mm-hmm. interestingly. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't, maybe it's not the case for them, but like in any of the people that you've interviewed, did, did it sort of like give them or sort of like change the trajectory of their lives? Or is it more so like what you just explained? They kind of just keep their heads down and forget about it and keep going about their work? No, I think it changed a lot of people's lives. I interviewed the parents of a lot of the kids and uh, asked them what changed with their children when this happened. And one dad, 
he had twin kids that were went to Ariel, and uh, he said like you know anything was possible after that. And so they moved his kids moved to America, went to college, like, and they were from they were native Shona from the village, you oh, know. Wow. So it and that I've heard that from other parent other parents of kids like that they um this experience taught them that anything is possible and that was like the biggest thing that that i found and not all of them took that you know some people were very disturbed by it mm. some people took it in a religious manner depending on their upbringing their parents everything it's really complicated actually the interpretation of it like whatever you know whatever this these things are this other species is whatever it is that's one thing and then there's the whole how the in human being interprets it with their belief systems yes. and their ideas right and then that's when it gets that's kind of actually been hard because i've been trying to figure that out it's like okay this is what everybody reports and then this is this other part that this is their interpretation of it right like even the messages i think well how did that come about, you know, like the, the, the messages that they got, you know, from these creatures, is that, you know, I'm not saying this is true. I just wondered like, well, maybe when a human being goes into this kind of event where they're confronted with another species that's more intelligent than them, do they start to think about their own environment, their own cage? You know what I mean? Like, I just wondered that, you know, like, wow. Mm. Um, just as a, in, yeah. How does that change your mind? Like, how does that change change the framework of your way of thinking when something like a concept as simple as I'm not the most intelligent thing here? Yeah, that's a great question because we've never dealt with it. That's interesting. We're still wild, and we. You know, this is <laughs> told people this; they think I'm probably crazy, but it's like. We're still wild animals. We've never been tamed by another species. Right. And we don't think we're wild animals. Or have we been tamed by another species and we're maybe. just not aware of it? <laughs> that's, what dis that's a disturbing thought. But yeah, maybe. Very possible, right? Very. That's the problem with a, a more intelligent, like us, with animals. Like, we're tricky, you know? I can make light come out of my hands, you know, with a flashlight and... Animals are pretty like, what the hell? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> it spooks them because um, it's right, like, like magic. Like ants. Ants don't see us. We're so giant. We're so big. We can do whatever we want. We could, we could fucking build a city around an ant pile and they would never see it. All they're doing is just fucking building their colony and serving the queen ant mm. and doing their... They're keeping their heads down and they're going to work. Like they don't see us. What, what doesn't matter what we do, it's not going to change. They're not thinking about it. Like they're completely unaware of us doing anything. You know what I mean? Like maybe yeah. it's the same thing with us. Maybe that there's that big of a gap between us and the next most intelligent creatures out there. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to do a lot of photography of ants and ant hills, and I would be, I'd have my foot. This far above their anthill, could have gone like this. Mm -hmm. They just carrying on. But when you start to pick a few of them out, like take a few of the ants, they start, somehow that word gets out <laughs> and they start to panic. Really? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I did my insect research for quite macro, macro lenses. Mm -hmm. That was actually interesting for years, insects. But um, yeah, it's, I guess we don't think about like, it, I guess human beings have a really hard time. I know I had for a long time and still do because I, sometimes I just don't want to think about it. It's like just pulling back and seeing the wider picture of, you know, how, what we are. I mean, we live on a very small planet. It's 8,000 miles across, 24,000 miles in circumference. And then we only live in a space of three miles where we can breathe. Mm. That's a very small cage we actually live in. Mm -hmm. But it's big enough for us not to realize it's a cage. Not <laughs> right, right. You know, and we've broken out in the last, what, 70 years mm -hmm. since the space program? We broke through that. I mean, that's a kind of a weird way to look at it, but if I was another species from the outside looking in, I'd say, ah, we need to pay attention to these guys. They're moving out into the bigger space. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, it's really, it's like going back to like what we see and what we don't see. It's just so weird how we have come so far and we've advanced so far technologically but we don't see anything else. You would imagine if the, if, the, if the universe was full of life and there was another civilization as advanced as we are, we would see something with all these expanding civilizations. Have you ever heard of uh, Robin Hansen? He talks about these things, this concept called grabby aliens. He wrote a, he wrote a, a paper called uh, The Great Filter. I think it was a book or just a paper he wrote called The Great Filter. And... Um, I'm going to try my best to explain this, but it's going to be butchered. Um, but he basically explains um, the lifespan of a star. And I believe it's like four or five trillion years and how long it takes for bacteria to become advanced life. And there's six basic filters or stages life has to pass through to become intelligent. And very rarely does it make it past the sixth filter and we have and he he uh he uses uh, the metaphor of cancer right so like in our bodies we have all these cells and a cell has to go through six specific stages to become a cancer cell and typically cancer cells only evolve in human beings later in life so only after i think it's like 80 or how many, however many billion years this planet has been around. What is it like? 4.6. 4.6 billion 4 .6. years. So his whole concept is that 4.6 billion years is nothing. Nothing. In the span of the lifetime of a star, which is 5 trillion years. So he's basically saying we've come, become advanced so fucking early. It makes sense that like it's, it only makes sense that there has to be other civilizations out there. Yeah. You know, what you were saying about like us not seeing these things, like that's kind of what changed the Navy's thing. They upgraded their radar. Mm. That was a big deal. Like, I think we were forced to do that because we had to keep up with China and mm -hmm. what was going on globally, but that's what happened. We upgraded our radar when we started seeing them. Right. Very clearly. It's like, oh, and there's another effect where 
you know, people don't notice things until you point them out, you know, like a lot of times if you know, people won't notice details about things until you bring it up. Right. Like see that dew on the grass, that icy, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they won't even be looking or never notice it until they, after you say it. Yes. And then they start paying attention. Yep. Like, oh, you know. Yeah. That's an interesting phenomenon too. Like it perception. Is. Perception. You yeah. know, like when you when you buy a new car or you're starting to look for a new car and you look at this car you like, you want to get this, all of a sudden you see them everywhere. True. That's perfect. That's a perfect example. Yeah. Perfect. It's example. real, right? Yeah, it is. So that's, you know, how much do we see? And we're evolving our sensor technology like crazy. Mm-hmm. And geez, it's an exciting time to be honest. Yeah. We're learning a lot and wow. Mm. But it, this whole topic just mind blowing. Have you had a lot of people people reach out to you since you released yeah. your movie? I <laughs> I had to stop answering my email because within like two months I had a hundred thousand. You know, what? fifty? Yeah, it was no, it was fifty three thousand emails. Um, you know, not all of it was people reaching out by any means, but I was just overwhelmed. You know, and phone calls and texts. And the most important ones were, you know, people saying thank you for validating my experience. Mm. That was, I mean, you can get no better letter than that or better note or better email than that. Because, you know, people were saying, you know, that's what they were just, because there's a lot of people that have been through something similar that have never had a voice, you know, Mm. or have never been taken seriously. And they appreciated this the way this film approached it because mm. it wasn't you know and i'm not trying to sell ufos or anything it's just like i'm telling a story that happened mm. you know um and that's the why one of the reasons they like it also it's like there's <clears throat> nothing to push here has anybody you ever talked to or interviewed that went through one of these these experiences had multiple experiences that's yes. something i noticed in travis walton's his podcast he did with Joe Rogan, he talked about something happened with his son or something. He he was like very hesitant to bring it up towards the end of the interview. Wow, I didn't I missed that. Interesting. I forget exactly what happened, but something he, okay, I remember what it was now. He said that he woke up one night in the middle of the night, and then it, you know, again, it's it's really hard to because with some of these people when I listen to them talk. I can kind of hear their ego talking. So I'm not saying that's Travis's case, but some people have this idea in their head that they are the chosen ones or right. they're, they're more important <laughs> than anyone else. Correct. So they have these dreams or they, they, they construct these things in their heads that this for sure happened to me. And whether it's because they like the attention or they like talking or they like hearing themselves, whatever it may be, that's always in the back of my mind. But sure. But regardless, what Travis mentioned towards the end of the interview, which he was very hesitant to talk about, was that one night he w- found himself sleepwalking and he woke up. He said he woke up in a full sprint down his hallway 
running to his son's bedroom. And then mm -hmm. as, when he got to his son's bedroom, he said he found his son hanging off the edge of the top bunk. You know those rail, like protective railings on top bunk? Mm -hmm. He said he found his son, like his body had fallen off and his neck was stuck in there and he was like suffocating. And he said if he hadn't got there in, in the next 60 seconds, his son would have died. But he he related that he related it to his experiences with his abduction. He said that there's something mm. there, there's something happening. Why would I wake up in a full sprint towards my son's bedroom? Wow. But there's, there's, I've noticed that with, I talked to another guy who I had on this podcast who wrote a book up there. It's called The Messengers. Um, his name is Mike Clellan. And he talked about his experiences. He said that he's gone through many of these experiences too. And it's sort of, parallels what Travis Walton was talking about, where it's now when you have these throughout your life, these deep, meaningful experiences, you kind of just like lump them together into this like supernatural spiritual sense. I think that's a choice, you know, in my opinion, like even, even the ego part of it, if, you know, there's, there are people that I know that I believe genuinely have encountered these things. Mm -hmm. But it depends what the human, be you know, like the person, does with it. You know, like the, the pe like a lot of people that take it to a spiritual place, or or they take it to an, an egocentric place, is kind of, in my view, I think it's a defense. You know, a way to deal with it, or a way to have all the answers when you don't have any, right? Like. That's the I, the thing about this whole thing. I think anybody will really tell you if you ask them, like they've got 10 million questions. You know, mm -hmm. they don't have a lot of answers. But people try because they need to keep their mind together. So they'll, they'll create the story they need to create in order for it to make sense. So right. they can live on their life. Right. You know, because it is that shattering. Not, you know, it, mm. it, it is... Uh, John Mack called it uh, ontological shock, um, the breaking of your worldview, your worldview, right? The shattering of your worldview. Everything you believe is no longer is in question all of a sudden because you just got this new piece of information that's gigantic. And how do you survive knowing that? How does how do things have the same value when you know that? So I think there's a lot of. Um, you know, I've seen people get out there and they talk about this and they put it in religious context or spiritual context. And I'm like, you know, that's interesting, but I don't know if you have to even go there. I think you might be going there to keep it together. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because mm. the real truth for me when I look at it is like, it's just, that's just the way it is. I don't have to, I mean, and what's wrong with just having a million questions, and not having all the answers? Mm. It's a very uncomfortable place to be. I had to put myself in that position over and over and over in this, making this doc. Mm. Like, all right, let's just pull back, not try to control it, not try to, you know, make it one thing or the other. Let's just take it for what it is. Mm. And what does that mean? And the conclusion I always come to is like, we've got a lot of questions to answer. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. we could keep the entire population on the planet busy for a long time trying to get to the bottom of these questions did john mack ever talk to betty and barney hill or was that before him let's see maybe this is something that we should look up austin well i know bud hopkins did um david jacobs i'm sure did 
uh, John Mack was alive for a long period. I'm sure they must have had contact at some point. Mm. But by that time, I forget the. Oh, he would have put that in his book, Abductions, right? If he he would have. He would have. And he 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 had talked to a lot of people. The people when he did abduction, he chose particular cases to point out particular mm. things, and the way different people were handling it. Like in that book, there was a lot of different ways people were handling it in their own lives to address it spiritually or yeah, you know, just raw reality. You know, there's different. It's it's human perspectives. Mm human interpretation and belief system. It really, bo- I mean, John Mack spoke about that. And so does so a lot of people have about just the worldview. And um, when it's shattered, you, you tend to grasp onto things that make you feel safer. Yeah, I'd be interested to find out if he ever uh, talked to them. I'm well, sure he did. Because I, I'd met Betty Hill, I think it was in 96. She was chain smoking like crazy oh really yeah, i met her i met her with a friend of mine we and uh she was uh she died like a year after that oh wow um and i know her, her granddaughter actually is doing a lot of research on this subject her granddaughter's a, a ufc fighter i think really yeah well the other granddaughter is a works for uh mutual ufo network oh really yeah She's like, what's your name? Kathleen. Kathleen Martin. Kathleen Martin. Mm-hmm. Okay. She's a really great. She's a good person. Pull her up, Kathleen Martin. This yeah. is uh, this is what he pulled up previously. I was talking. We were talking about those uh, grabby alien civilizations. This is uh, the work of uh, Robin Hanson. And hmm. uh, what does it say? There are two kinds of alien civilizations: quiet aliens don't expand or change much, and then they die. We have little data on them. And so must and so must mostly speculate via methods like the Drake equation. Loud aliens, in contrast, visibly change the volumes they control and just keep expanding fast until they meet each other. As they should, as they should be easy to see, we can fit theories about loud aliens to our data, and uh, and say much about them as S. J. Olson has done in seven related papers. And he links all the papers. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. I mean, yeah. So, like that that graphic that he has there, mm-hmm. I guess that this represents all the different um, alien civilizations in the universe, and eventually they will all just be touching one another, and there will be no more room for people for new civilizations or new species to come up because the universe will just be full. Boy, there's a lot of space out there. Yeah. Well, it's like I think you know. Again, I always go back to what I know, which is wildlife and you know if the, if you give them an opportunity they're going to move into that area <laughs> mm-hmm. you know exactly that, that's what, that's what that's what we do yeah that's what we uh, that's what human beings do we we tried to grab more and gain more resources and control more we expand naturally it's what we do mm-hmm. and uh you know it's funny he compared it to malignant cancer <laughs> it's like these, these alien civilizations um and He's right about when, the when quiet you, ones too, because you know how we we just discovered a reef, you know, off at, I think it was in the Atlantic, mm-hmm. where this whole like community of creatures we've never seen before, you know, or not this type, 
have been living forever for a long time, you know, for a long time. And mm-hmm. they didn't spread or go, you know what I mean? They, yeah. they created their own little quiet biosphere. They were happy. They didn't need to expand. Like, yeah. Know? So he's right. Because I was wondering, I kind of disagreed with the quiet, but you know what? There's examples of that mm. in our own world. If they became grabby, they would, they wouldn't let, their kind travel out to other civilizations because they would understand that if they went there, they would take control of whatever is there and start some sort of a new civilization that new would queen bee. that would threaten their civilization. So they purposely wouldn't allow hmm. expansion. Bees do that. Right. Hmm. But then how do you explain UFOs, though? So do they let certain, do they let out certain sort of hall monitors outside of the civilization to go to other stars to make sure other civilizations aren't becoming, quote unquote, grabby and aren't expanding too much and making sure they don't destroy a planet? I have no idea. That's the questions like we have to address. Like what? What is a, a what what are these things? What what part of a civilization are we seeing? I mean, maybe they're. <laughs> I was laughing. It maybe somebody said a long time ago. Maybe it's just their kids. You know, this is their kids' science experiment. You know, it's not their main adults that are doing different things. You know, mm. but that's very possible with a, a highly advanced species. You know. What are we seeing? What part of their species are we seeing? The science guys? Mm. Or what? And how big is that? So, I mean, there's so many questions that we have to address, I think. And I think there's plenty of data out there that this has been going on. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. That's just we're not willing to talk about it yet. That's really how it looks. We're just not ready. Mm. And we're getting there. Now, you said like some of the biggest the biggest correlating um, physical things that like people at like John Mack found talking to all these people were scars on the body. Were there any other sort of like implants or anything? Yes. Or like things that can't be explained? Yeah. Like what? Um, things that were under the skin of the person, I think Roger Lear, who I don't really know too much about, but he was doing the deep dive on those types of phenomena that were 
happening to these same people. Mm. They'd have scars on their body and they'd have things that would come out of their body, you know, that were underneath the skin or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he was analyzing them. Um, I mean, somebody else has to do that work. Right. And, you know, somebody, right. people have been doing it. Right. Um, and I guess kind of what there isn't is this like a group of people working together, you know, in this field. Everybody seems to be working on their own and doing their yeah. own thing. There's not like a university saying, hey, let's look at this and everybody look on, you know, mm -hmm. that's missing um, in this phenomenon. Um, but I think that's changing. I think people, there's like uh, the Scientific Coalition on UAPs that's out of Alabama, really great organization of scientists that are really addressing this stuff. Um, that's probably where we're going we're gonna to see a lot of the breaking, mm. breaking news other than the Pentagon. And what do you think? I mean, I'm kind of curious, like the Pentagon came, you know, the, or the, the intelligence committee came pretty far out there saying, we think these things are, we don't know what they are. We don't think they're trying, you know, and then they sort of came out with a second report and kind of walked it back a little bit. That's the that second was my, of the more sightings. They had over 500 yes. documented cases. Well, that was the interesting thing. Like, oh, they get even more cases, but they're sort of like, oh, maybe balloons, you know. <laughs> yeah, a and, lot of it was junk, they said. Mm -hmm. And there was even one New York Which Times article. Which is probably article. true. Yeah. But it doesn't explain all of it. There was know? also a New York Times article, Austin, maybe you can find this, uh, where they actually said, it was one of the recent ones, where they talk about the the additional reportings coming out of over 500 documented cases um, which came out, what, what was that, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, a mm -hmm. month ago maybe? Mm -hmm. They said that some sort of analysis was done on that Go Fast video that claims, and they claimed in the article that thing was only going like 40 miles per hour, hmm. which I find kind of odd. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like, have to. Like listening to those pilots' reactions. Yeah. They're having, a tr they're having trouble locking on to right. something at 40 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. Do you know the gear on those things? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. No. I mean, I just from personal looking at that video and looking at the waves and, and what those are swells. Right. You know, that's a long distance. Yeah. And that thing, to me, looks small, you know, really small and moving mm -hmm. very quickly. But, you know, I mean, who's analyzing it? That's That's really the question. You know, whoever's going to have their opinion, what's their background, what's their... Yeah, scroll down. Uh, a large number of incidents remain unexplained in the new report of uh, from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, potentially fueling further speculation. Scroll down. Sean Kirkpatrick, that's one of the guys that Ryan talked about, who I think is one of the guys that he met in that first, when they first sent him to the Pentagon after he came out. Um, he's the head of the Pentagon Task Force for examining unexplained incidents, said... Officials are setting up mechanisms to make sure that no American government testing or classified programs like futuristic or secret stealth aircraft or drones is the cause of these mysterious reports. Yeah, the problem with the New York Times is they don't like they're they're skirting the, the big the big idea here. Like they're skirting the main point of all of this. Like all they want to do is focus on these little things like they like on the first thing they came out with. They only focus on the little A tip 
program. They didn't focus on the big question. Like, what are these? I think it's on purpose, you know? Yeah. The slow walkout. Mm. Like, it's a really deep conversation, and they want to just, I think there are people that just want to. You think there's editors? Do you think there's people that are kind of controlling or controlling the editing of these articles that are posted on giant publications like the New York Times that are tied into the government or tied into certain agencies that are trying to control the narrative? Or that are saying whether they whether the editors of these publications consciously are aware if they're being controlled or not, could there be people at what, for example, the CIA that are saying like, we we suggest you change this because you could endanger a lot of people or you could endanger national security if you put it this way, or if you focus on this thing, do you think that that's possible? Um, I haven't seen seen that, but I would do that if it was me. I control the narrative mm. and uh, how it's released. Mm. Yeah, because it's a big deal. It's going to affect everything. So I would really want to be in control of how it gets out to the public. Mm. That just makes sense to me. I would do the same thing because it's not. I and I don't have any examples of that. I do know quite a few people that are involved with the press releases and stuff, and I do, I don't see any. Um, I think there's an awareness actually in the press that this has to be taken slowly. Other people, otherwise, yeah. people are just not gonna. They're gonna. It they're seems gonna like off. it feels like there is right. Yeah, and I think it's wise. It feel it feels like they're following a script almost. Like they know what act they're in, and they know what's going to happen in Act Three, and Act Four, and Act Five, and they have to plan accordingly. Yeah, I mean, first of all, you got to talk about these things that are in our atmosphere. You know, that do pose a th potential threat to safety. I agree with that. Then we get down further down the road mm. and talk about what are those things doing here? What are they? Where are they from? Then we get down to who's piloting those things. Or, you know, this is down the road. And the, the conversation gets deeper and then the deeper you know we'll get to the place where like okay <laughs> we've yeah. been hearing about this for a long time and yeah. we thought these people were crazy um well you know it's but cool. we can't go there straight away it's it's fascinating too when you think about the snowball effect that is happening with industry with with basically the monetization of the subject the yeah. more the the just by giving us an inch in the new york times then look what happens on the History Channel and the Discovery Channel. Yeah. Now they're getting so much more attention on these shows that they're making and people are taking it seriously because people see that the Pentagon's talking about it and the New York Times is talking about it. So now there's so much more money being made, so much money on the table to be made on the subject. And the more films like yours that come out and other people who make films like this that are getting more attention and more people from government, bureaucrats coming out about it, senators coming out about it, it enables just the industry to balloon more and that balloon it's like a it's like a fucking positive feedback loop the more money that gets siphoned into this subject the more pressure goes on the government to talk about it and come out about it the problem is how do we know if it's true or not that from from the government's perspective like from whatever they come out with how do we know how much deception is coming out and how much of it is real you know it's it's almost like I'm a cynic to the point where whatever they say, I feel like the opposite is true sometimes. 
Yeah, there's usually two 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 agendas going on at the same time. Yeah. Um, I mean that that's something we should just talk about. Like, what is conspiracy theory? You know, that we use that word so casually, but mm. it's asking like conspiracy things that don't go away for a long time there's probably a reason why they don't or you know people like i don't know no one's spying on us and then you have people whistleblowers come forward and tell us things that you know are no longer conspiracies you know right so jeffrey epstein (laughs) oh yeah i mean one of the biggest ones right boy yeah that's a huge one yeah, what's the what's the the funny it's, the famous? It's who quote. we knew. It's who we knew. The names he knew. And, yeah. And I, I whatever. What's her name? Giselle. Ghislaine Maxwell. Yeah, I worry about her. Well, she just don't uh, even know her, and I'm not. I don't agree with what she did, but I'm like, yeah, uh, I'd be really concerned for my life because mm-hmm. of who who you knew. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the famous quote about conspiracy theories is the biggest difference between uh, the truth and a conspiracy theory is six months. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Just give it time. Truth yeah. always comes but truth always comes out, even if it takes a hundred years mm-hmm. or hundreds of years sometimes. Yeah. And they were like, oh, we used to that was we used to think that was crazy. Now it's accepted, you mm-hmm. know. Um Yeah, one of the biggest um you know, I think one of the most important things to happen in the evolution of technology or humans is like this podcasting thing because it's kind of like broken through the main television narrative that people have been so tuned into for whatever, 50 years. It's very controlled. Very like controlled. even the UFO thing, like, yeah, there are people making money on this. It's not me. It's not a small guys. Mm-hmm. It's big companies it's important though i think it's important that money is made on the subject i i agree with that i do agree with that i just it's interesting who's kind of controlling it um it is uh i've been watching it for a while um what do you mean when you say who's controlling it just who who um who has the power and the money to to bring shows out you know about Mm this um yeah, I think it's changing. Podcasts are changing that. You're right. Mm-hmm. Changing that whole environment. You know, people, a lot of people get their news from podcasts. Yeah. Instead of the news. Yeah. Um, which is, it's great to have that other perspective, like a different perspective. Not that all the news is out there is well researched or, mm-hmm. um, but you get an alternate opinion, which is valuable. Just to yeah. have, just to have maybe, well, maybe, you know, let me look at it from this angle mm-hmm. instead of being fed. Right. You know, <clears throat> um, yeah, boy, so fascinating talking with you. Have you ever it's looked like, into um, those bases out in Nevada, like uh, Area 51 or, or S4? Have you ever talked to anyone who's been to those bases or spill the beans? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a little hesitant for good reason. Um. Hmm. Yeah, that um I mean, I think uh boy. I think a lot of the answers are out there to be honest. Really? Mhm. I'm going to get my ass kicked for saying that, but um yeah, I don't think it's a joke. I don't think it's c- conspiracy or anything. Um 
I'm just very careful about that topic. I've heard some crazy stories about those. About I mean, obviously, there's the Bob Lazar thing, but I've heard some also some people have told me some stories about people they know who have worked there, like military people who have been there and like just had conversations with some of the science guys who science, you know, researchers or engineers that were in the cafeteria and, you know, just had conversations and some weird, weird things that I never would have expected. It's the cutting edge of us, of our country. It's our secret programs. So, there's a lot of national security that has nothing to do with um, other species. Um, I guess that's kind of the issue is like. I saw something yesterday where there was like this big hauling truck with this fucking like flying saucer looking thing on the back of it. Have you seen that on Twitter? And that was a it, long time ago, right? It, yeah. They yeah. said it was like Skunk Works or something. That's Lockheed. What the hell is Skunk Works? That's Lockheed. Oh, it's Lock. It's a company yeah. Lockheed owns or something. No, it's it, it's uh, Lockheed Skunk Works. I mean, they built the the A twelve and uh, you know the um, all their spy planes. Oh, okay. Skunk Works is like their. Skunkworks, the official pseudonym for Lockheed Martin's Advanced Development Programs (ADP), formerly called Lockheed Advanced Development Projects. It is responsible for a number of aircraft designs, highly classified R&D programs, and exotic aircraft platforms. Known locations include the United States Air Force Plant Number 42 and the United States Air Force Plant 4. Most notably, a major classified testing. Uh, most a most notably, a majority of classified testing is thought to be conducted at sites such as the Nevada test site. Huh. They're known for the P-38 Lightning, which was developed in 1938. Wow fascinating yep yeah so pull up pull up the video of that object getting like a flying saucer at skunk work do you know have you, you saw it? what do you think that was that's a good question uh, uh, people were like joking about it like like making like making fun of the video or something on twitter when i saw i was reading the comments they were just like laughing at it i have no idea i saw yeah. it and i'm like well <laughs> i mean it's not very difficult to mm. spoof that yeah right i mean i someone would have to really get a lot more data on it to really do you know who um i'm sure you do um put off is his last name what's his first name how al put off how how put off mm. I, I remember watching a video where he was and i guess for context he was the head of one like project blue book or something is that what it was he was in charge of Project Blue Book, or was it one of the other projects? That was uh, Alan Hynek. Alan Hynek. He wasn't okay. in charge of it, but he worked. I don't think Alan was head of it. Um, Hal was involved in, um, you have to look him up on yeah. Wiki. It's fascinating. Like, he's talking about, you know, physics of yeah. some yeah. real wild stuff back in the 60s. Yeah. Okay, this is a picture of the... Okay, there it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Full screen, that thing. Yeah, that looks like one of our advanced uh, projects. Look at that. Is there a video of it? Go, or can you go to like, the next? Click the arrow to the right on the bottom. Yeah, that looks like our stuff, dude. Look at that thing. Look, in, okay, so they take the picture. Someone took a picture, and they basically figured out that it was some sort of test range. But judging by the tree and the big scaffolding in the background, 
that doesn't look like any sort of like jet. There's no, there's no jet output. You know what I mean? Like there's no that we can see that we can see from the image. Yeah. Yeah. That to me, that's an advancement on what we already have been doing. It's just more aerodynamic. So pull up. I'll put up. I'll put off. How? H-A-L. H-A-L-P-T-O-F-F. Yeah, I, I watched a video where he was talking about, I think it was like one of those, one of the Weinstein brothers was asking him about anti-gravity. And he was like, basically, yes, we have a, we have, there's private organizations that have figured out anti-gravity and they aren't sharing it with modern academia. Probably true. That was fucking wild to hear. Yeah, that man's, that man's a genius. I've spoken with him a few times. And, Have you really? Yeah. And I've been honored to do so. You know, like, man, I'd love to spend more time with that man. He just knows so much. And a lot, I'm sure, that he can't even What did say. you guys talk about? <laughs> um, boy, can't really talk about that. I mean, I'm not trying to be... I just... It was, a, it was kind of a private conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, was it in regards to your film at all or? Yeah. That's actually how we got. So in, you were doing research and you reached out to him or? No, I had, I knew somebody that knew him and, um, oh, okay. I, um, just made it a point to, to reach out to him and, and speak to him about a few things. About mm. this were you like, were you like trying to confirm certain, sto uh, certain stories or was there anything that have anything to do with like the narrative of your film? No. Specifically? No. No, it was a wider phenomenon, you know, and kind of my, you know, underneath or behind the film, you know, I was really trying to find out who knows about this. Who knows about this? Mm -hmm. You know, someone's got it now. Mm -hmm. So I, I went and did a lot of exploration into, um, people like that. And other people in the military that would that would be in the know of the, about this. Mm. So that was kind of a big drive, and I did not come back doubting that people knew this. Mm. Yeah. So something that he was aware of. I mean, I can't how, speak. How could he not be aware I, of the phenomenon? But right. I'm sure he was. But I think he is, of course. Yeah. Um, well, I think a lot of people are at this point. Something shifted. Um, and I really think it was, in my personal opinion, and I may be wrong, but I think a lot of the people that were initially involved in this project, you know, discovery and research are all dying now. Mm. And yeah. they, they, they did a really poor job of uh, transition. You know what I mean? Like bringing in new, new people and, and keeping the same level of secrecy. Right. I think they lost it. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe in four years, this will all make sense. But I mean, um, it really depends. Cause you know, when you do the deep dive on something, nobody really gets it until mm -hmm. they do also that same deep dive. How till later, how worked really closely with that, that billionaire dude. Um, his name just gave me, was it, what was his name? Um, Bob something? Yes. Bigelow. Bigelow. Bob. Yeah. Robert Bigelow, who, uh, who's who been deeply invested. See, he's one of the guys, when I listened to him talk, I was just like, I had bullshit detectors going off left and right. Really? Yeah. Ooh, interesting. 
you know, when he's ta- when he when you start talking about like poltergeists and remote viewing, like you start like you start to lose me. Mm-hmm. That's just my personal bias. I kind of agree with that in a way. I mean, I'm nothing against Bob, but I or mm-hmm. anybody, mm-hmm. but I just think like this phenomenon of these craft, whatever they are, this other thing that we don't know or mm-hmm. understand probably is going to lead us to understand all those other phenomenon you know and and we don't need to be talking about that yet okay. <laughs> like i i kind of agree with that like we don't need to be talking about that yet because it's just people just write it off you know they're like eh, how would too it, much. how would it lead to some other things like this how would they be connected um I think because of physics and because of another species understanding and being able to manipulate things that we're just learning exist um, and control things that, uh, and telepathy and things like that. I mean, the whole, the whole idea of, what do you call it? Um, you know, remote viewing. Yeah. I mean, what is that? That's basically... Where did they get the idea? Yeah, that is interesting. Where did they get the idea? Mm-hmm. Well, and why the, why would they invest all the kind of money they did into it unless they knew it was proven? Like that that something else had done it. Well, it's sort of like it's kind of like in the realm of when you talk about things like MK Ultra mind control, right? Like it's something that they maybe heard that another nation was doing militarily or strategically Likely. for war. Sure. And then we figured out we we thought oh god we got to figure this out quick you know it seems like that that's the same thing with with all of this stuff is like it all it all comes down to it all boils down to war Hmm. or national security yeah which is pretty much that's what funds everything that's all secret that's where all the money is right and where's that money going really you know probably to the space program I would imagine, hmm. I'd be, you know, this is kind of, this may sound strange, but I think about this a bit, like back in the early days, you know, when, if this, you know, just, I'll be ginger about it. Like, uh, you know, that we under we, we finally, we had an example of a species that survived beyond its planet and evolved far, far, far beyond us. Right. Like, that's a big deal. Like, it's a proof of concept. You know, like, we have an example of a species that's evolved further than us that has gotten off their planet. So, like any good scientist would do, would be, we need to copy that model. We need to follow that model because we know it's successful, right, beyond us. But that may... so. I wonder, like, well, maybe that's what we did, and we've had all these technological revolutions and everything else, but that's what this other species' path was. That may not have been what our path was meant to be. I wonder about that. But I understand, like, okay, we've got a successful example of another species. Let's follow exactly what they did. Let's duplicate them. Because we know it's successful, but we're not the same. 
we haven't evolved in the same right. way. Right. We don't have the same elements on our planet. You're saying that hypothetically this could have happened a long time ago, that we discovered some sort of advanced being and technology and we decided that I we think wanted to alter our trajectory? Yeah. And that could be what these beings were communicating to these kids that like you guys are evolving down the wrong path, like technology, like your, your tie to technology and the way you guys are advancing is not on the right path. I mean, I haven't thought I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying to understand like how your mind is sort of tying all of your experiences and all your work together. Like, yeah, I have, a. you know, you just have a lot of different thoughts. You know, and you, you, and the, you know, they're theoretical, mm-hmm. like they're speculative and, and, but you, it's good to entertain it just to go down those roads and yeah, say, this is what, all speculation. What's there? Of course. You know, I mean, I think the most exciting thing, to be honest, is to, is the p- potential that we could grow leaps and bounds, you know, by, by, learning something that's already plotted out all the planets that's already are out there. They know what the populations are, what the mm. wildlife on that planet is, um, or the life on that planet is. I mean, boy, we could take a huge jump in our evolution. And it's kind of in line with the same, <laughs> the opposite of uh, what I was just saying about uh how following another species because they are successful um i think has is is something that has to be carefully done mm-hmm. be, uh, with the understanding like this these people these things have evolved in a totally different way right and that may not be the best thing for us right and the technology question if we go back to that well <laughs> here we are building nuclear reactors on the the ocean right which we know is gonna you know every time we have one of those natural disasters like fukushima all the garbage all the pollutants that went out into that ocean from that event we keep having that the ocean is not going to survive there's concern about that you know by oceanographers by you know the acidity level i think it's the acidity level in the ocean Anyway, that's a whole nother topic, mm-hmm. but it's a it's a it's a box full of questions, and I guess the like the only thing I really would love to see done is people ask more questions and we start to investigate these things and find out because mm-hmm. we're not we don't have it figured out that's for sure. What do you think needs to happen to make the world take this subject more seriously? I think it's going to have to come from some pretty big people, you know, I really, I do. I I think that's going to lay the groundwork for the financial assets and assets like that are, we already have to be redirected to looking at this phenomenon. Mm -hmm. I know it already has been done, but it's not being shared with us. And I guess that's the big problem. And maybe they're right. Maybe they're, you know, people, this is something people don't really want to know. And um, I that's the know. big question, right? I mean, why? Like, why don't you just, let's let's move. Let's do it. Okay, we're not alone. Great. Let's mm-hmm. move on. 
Yeah. I think once we understand that, we're going to deal with our issues as a species way better than we have mm -hmm. because we're not, we're going to be, because there's something from the outside. We've never really had that, you know, not it's, it's always been spiritualized or religiousized or something, mm. but just plain matter of fact, there's another animal. And one of the kids, one of the arrow kids said that to John Mack during an interview, he said, so what do you think? You know, John Mack asked him, so what do you think about it? And the kid says, there's other animals out there. I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> it's so simple, but there's other animals out there. Wow. Yeah. Didn't make the movie. So many great That's amazing. cuts. We could do a miniseries, like four episodes, yeah. easy, with the amount of, I mean, there's so much material. Mm. You know, it's so wild that there's, no, you know, all of this talk about this and all of this evidence and recounts of experiences and videos radar videos but there's still not a fucking picture a real like there's pictures of these things far away like like the guy in australia mm -hmm. and but there's no real like definitive evidence of these fucking beings or these or these crafts that you can look at and be analyzed say not cgi this is real that's amazing to me that they've eluded this. I think they're there. I think they're um, they're being analyzed by some really good people. So when they do publicize these videos and these photographs, that they're going to have like papers that come along with them that are mm -hmm. so extensive about every little detail. Um, I know that exists, so it's there. I just, it's, it's being, it's going to be presented in a very different way, you know, you know, more scientific, not just put on YouTube. Right. But analyzed by really good people. And, uh, I mean, there's plenty of people who have said we've got, we've, we've already got the, that evidence. It's just. You know. Yeah. But what, how far does it go? Do you believe the story? The, do you believe the, um, the story of jackie gleason the president taking him to see the alien at homestead air force base where he's like because he knew jackie you know that story right i do know uh, that who, story. who was the president i always forget the president was N it eisenhower N no nixon. i think it was nixon. nixon it was nixon um the interesting part about those kind of stories is they persist mm -hmm. you know i'd like you know if i wanted to know about that story i'd like to go to jackie gleason's family mm. yeah his wife or talked about it. oh she did yeah well yeah she talked about it. She said she knew her husband had always been obsessed with the UFOs. They even he even bought a fucking house shaped like a flying saucer. That's how obsessed he was. And uh, I think it was in upstate New York. And she she said that after he came home from that trip with Nixon, um, he sat down and he was just like, look, ghost white in the face. That's appropriate. And uh, <laughs> and he basically said that. Uh, he said, don't let anyone ever tell you that this shit is not real. Because hmm. she said that he was just in a catatonic state when he got back. And she, he, t he told her about his experience. Wow. That's interesting. But it was interesting to hear that. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's one of the biggest secrets on the planet. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, people, are, <laughs> human beings have egos. It's like, well, hey, I want to show my buddy this. It'll blow his mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, who's he going to tell? Nobody's going to believe him. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially yeah, right. Nobody's going to fucking believe him. That's that's the great thing about it too, because you you can keep a secret because no one's going to believe you. And, and they they propagated that since 1953, since the Robertson panel, they propagated making people look like fools and mm -hmm. laugh at them. Yeah, you know, they, stigma. They pushed it. They made the stigma. Right. They created yeah, it. Yeah, they weaponized it. Yep. And it still exists even today. It's amazing how mm -hmm. well that worked. Because it, they're working on the unbelievable in that line of like, yeah, that's so unbelievable. I can't. I'll just laugh about it. Right. <laughs> right. Don't take it seriously because it's mm -hmm. heavy. Um, yeah. That's just it's a really, I mean, I kind of like look at everybody in the field right now it's like wow we're just kind of you know pieces in a puzzle that's probably going to go on for hundreds of years mm. before we actually you know have a significant hopefully it doesn't take that i mean i never thought we'd be at this point you, you mean know? you never thought we'd get this far never thought in your the lifetime Pentagon, i'd never thought in my lifetime that i'd see what we've seen in the last four years mm. pilots top gun guys like yeah they don't come out they don't come out talking about aliens mm -hmm. ever, and they have F F fifteen F eighteen pilots, F fifteen mm -hmm. pilots, F twenty two pilots. You know, these guys are so well trained about what you know, and they you know they see the officers at those nuclear bases talking about it publicly. Yeah. yeah, there's no upside for them. How do you discredit those guys? Yeah, they're yeah they're guys in charge. in charge of the nuclear codes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're making shit up. Yeah. <laughs> what did they say that literally like it, it it activated it sent the nuclear activation to the rocket or to the nuke and like initiated like a countdown sequence that they had no control over and then just shut it off. I didn't hear that. I just know that they completely disabled, yeah. you know, like 10 separate missile silos and they couldn't figure out. And at the same time they were witnessing this crazy craft. Mm -hmm. hovering above the silos above, above the silos and these guys were 20 floors underneath mm -hmm. you know and they all testified about it yeah yeah that's that's the interesting thing too like the people that have testified um at the press club uh people that are testifying behind closed doors at, in, in congress for the intelligence committee i mean mm -hmm. that's a big deal we haven't heard we haven't heard the half of that yet mm -hmm. You know how the minority report, you have the minority report and the majority report, you know? Yeah. They, they have the public version and then the classified right. version because right. they don't want to reveal national security mm. secrets. Um, that's what took the report so long, you know? This last report that came out late mm. was the DIA going through everything. and Really? Yeah. Um, making sure it's a crazy world out there man yeah but at least we get to sit not, here and talk about it I no have it's really cool yeah me too and i appreciate the we, we've been deep diving it's kind of interesting it's, yeah it's, it's really it's new fun, thoughts man. new ideas yeah. you know new things to think about and uh i just hope we get somewhere you know mm -hmm. it's been a long time that we've been dealing with this topic it would be nice to to actually see us mm -hmm. progress progress yeah and move beyond ideas or ridicule and just mm -hmm. like let's let's actually look at this me too man because what's what's i mean my concern personally is like if we don't 
we're losing time. Mm. You know, if there's another speak, what's their deal? What are they up to? Right. The longer we don't know that, the worse off we'll be. Potentially. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Good. Who knows? I have no judgment about that. It's just we should know as much as we can, as mm. soon as we can. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Tell people listening and or watching where they can find your movie and anything else, anything more to do with your work online, on social media, et cetera. Oh, uh, yeah. That's, so it's at uh, aerialphenomenon.com's website. Um, and then you can get the movie there. But we're also on Amazon and iTunes and all the streaming platforms at this point aerialphenomenon.com that's the website okay. and then uh, i'll link it below for yeah. people that want to see it yeah and uh, highly recommend it very good movie thanks a lot of good people put a lot of time into it and a lot of people volunteered their time to do it um yeah i mean there's so there's so many people that eventually will be thanked <laughs> for the further <laughs> efforts because yeah you know, people let me stay in their houses for you know when i was in africa and man People were just amazing because they knew, like, you know, it wasn't some corporation driving this. It was, it was hard. Cool, but man. Good stuff, man. Yes, sir. I yeah. appreciate it again. You too.